Well, happy Wednesday night uh, to you, uh, brothers and sisters. It's good that we can come together around the Word of God in this format. I do want to ask you tonight to remember a couple of our families. We want to remember Dolores Haney. Uh, her husband recently passed away. And also Andy Walker uh, lost his grandmother. So these are two families in our church that we want to be mindful of and, and pray for them. And so let me encourage you to do that at home. Um, if you would, find Proverbs chapter 3 in your copy of the Bible. And while you're finding your place in your copy of Scripture, I do want to just remind you to stay tuned for the Friday update that we send out, just so you'll know a little bit better what's going on. Uh, in the church family, and some special things that we're trying to emphasize. So be expecting that uh, on Friday. In Proverbs chapter 3, I want to talk to you tonight about wise living for good times and bad. Wise living for good times and bad. You know, Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 is certainly a favorite passage of many people in our church family. In fact, these two verses are the two life verses of Connie. So it's certainly her favorite passage, and I know that many others have mentioned as well to me that this is certainly a favorite passage. I want to read to you tonight from verses 1 to 10, and then we're going to have prayer, and then we're going to jump right in. So beginning there in verse 1, uh, the scripture says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will, they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Father, as we come before you tonight we stand upon that promise in your word that where two or three are gathered together in your name you're in our midst and Lord we may be gathered together while separated to our own respective homes but we know that because you're everywhere this is no challenge for you uh, you're omnipresent you're with us everywhere that we go, everywhere we turn in life, you're with your children. And we certainly take a great deal of comfort from that because we know whatever circumstances we get into, you're with us. And you're causing all things to work together for good in the lives of those who love you. Lord, even when we might not understand ourselves, Lord, we don't see tomorrow, but you do. And so we we continue to pray for your wisdom to direct our steps. Lord, that you would be with our church family as we have different ones experiencing 
uh, perhaps illness, and I mentioned the two families that have had deaths uh, in their fa uh, family circle. So I pray that you would comfort them. Uh, Lord, fill the void that's in their hearts now. You're the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions, and you're the Prince of Peace. Uh, so give Andy's family and Dolores' family your peace and comfort, and be a shepherd to them in these times as they, uh, they have lost loved ones, a husband in one case and a grandmother in the other. Lord, we pray for our church family members who are experiencing loneliness, that you would be a companion to them. Uh, be a shepherd to your people. You're the good shepherd. You know your sheep by name. The Bible says you know even the hairs on our head. So remind them that you're with them. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be very evident in their lives. And each day they would be able to look back over the course of the day and see your fingerprints all over their lives and be assured that you're with them. Uh, give them wisdom as they make decisions uh, related to their family, related to their work and school. Just be near to your people. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to talk to you tonight about wise living for good times and bad. I do want to ask you to keep your copy of the scripture open to Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, we simply want to talk about wise living in these days that we're in. You know, we live in a society and in a culture where there's certainly no shortage of intelligence. As far as intelligence goes, uh, we have far more opportunities today than at any other time in human history. But folks, intelligence doesn't necessarily mean that we are any wiser. Uh, there's a difference between wisdom and intelligence. Isaac Newton, the father of modern physics, who was also a Christian, said in 1680 that from his reading of the scripture, men would one day travel with ease from one country to another. Uh, he said that there would probably be inventions developed that would allow people to travel as fast as 50 miles an hour. Well, the French atheist Voltaire read Newton's words and he said, See what a fool Christianity makes of a man. Has Newton forgotten that if a man would travel at such speeds as he suggests, he would be suffocated, his heart would stop? Well, today, through such avenues as the space shuttle, for instance, men travel at over 18,000 miles per hour. But, but while we've been able to accomplish inventions like this, Think at the same time about the moral and spiritual condition of the world. Are we any better off? Certainly not. You see, in the Bible, uh, true wisdom means living right. It's not just a head knowledge, but it means living right. Living as God would have us to live. Letting God direct our steps and making decisions that would be pleasing in his sight. Well, the book of Proverbs is a great place to turn for this kind of living, for wise living. You know, in places, Solomon is addressing his son, 
And he wants his son to be successful in life. He wants him to live wisely. And he wants him to avoid making some of the mistakes that Solomon made in his life. And I think that's part of what chapter 3 is all about. It is the voice of experience to a younger person. It is a dad wanting his son to live even better than he himself has lived. And so I want us to look at this chapter And what I want to do is group these ten verses around four different admonitions that we see here. And the first one I want to encourage you to write down is that we are to obey God. We are to obey God. Verses 1 and 2, again, let me read that. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you... uh, peace, and prosperity. I want you to notice something about this admonition and and these verses, I should say, and and really about each set of verses that I will go over. Uh, They are stated in a two-verse couplet. God tells us what to do. He tells us how to do it. And then he gives us his promise if we obey. And that's why I say it's a two-verse couplet. Again, God tells us what to do, how to do it, and he gives us a promise uh, if we obey. Well, look at this first command that we are to obey him. Uh, He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, uh, but let your heart keep my commandments. The New American Standard says, For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. The word peace can be translated abundant welfare. I want you to remember from chapter 1, again, this is uh, probably Solomon instructing his son. Uh, He's instructing his son in the way of the Lord. This is what a good father does. He prepares his children for life. There's many things he teaches him. uh, And along with things that his son would need to know, his son or daughter would need to know to survive in the world, what we need most to learn about is God's ways. And so that's part of preparing our children for life. His teaching was, was not just the wisdom of man. But he was pointing his son to the wisdom of God. You know, James in James chapter 3 talks about a wisdom that is from above and a wisdom that's from below. A wisdom that is man-centered, a a wisdom that is God-centered. So we see some similarities to that here. And he says to his son that we're to remember God's law. We are not to neglect it. Now, I want to ask you to think with me about a couple of images here that I think will help us to kind of get our thoughts around what he's speaking of here. I want you to think about an anchor and a rudder. Uh, God's Word is to be an anchor in our lives. What does an anchor do with the boat? It, it keeps it stable. It It keeps it in that one spot where the person wants that boat to be. It keeps it anchored, and it keeps it from drifting. 
God's word keeps us from just drifting through life, kind of aimless. Uh, we're to be anchored in God's word. And God's word is to be the rudder of our lives, that which points us in the right direction. You know, that reminds me also in some ways of what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, he says, Timothy, my son, while other men are waxing worse and worse, you're to be true to God's word. And God's word is to anchor your life and give it direction. And if you'll let God's word do that, it'll point you in the direction of salvation through faith in Christ. And then it'll help you grow in your Christian faith. And it'll even help you to be fruitful in ministry. Well, I want you to notice Solomon goes on here too to, to point out the way to obey. He says, let your heart keep my commands. In other words, we are to treasure God's word in our hearts. We're to treasure it and apply it to our lives. Folks, as much as we would love God to shout from the heavens above in audible words so that we could hear, or we'd walk to our mailbox and open up our mailbox and there'd be a letter there from God addressed just to us. As much as we might want God to do that from time to time in our lives, we know that God speaks to us in a far better way. God speaks to us through His Word. And we're to treasure that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by or carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we're to, we're to cherish God's Word. We're to, we're to treasure it. We're to make sure our heart keeps His commands. And you know, we're not going to start obeying God's Word until we really cherish it like that. Jesus said on one occasion that a wise man is a man who hears His Word and acts on it or puts it into practice. And he compared that man to a methodical builder who clears the land, digs down deep, lays a good foundation, and only after he does all of that does he proceed with building his home. At every stage of the building, he's careful to do it right. And if he does so, his house will be able to withstand the storms of life. Well, folks, we're to be wise builders. If we will cherish God's word, hide it in our hearts, obey it, look at the promise in verse 2. He says, For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Now, I want to remind you at this point that Proverbs consist of godly principles He's, he's not saying that everyone who keeps God's word and the instructions of a godly father is going to have a long life upon the face of the earth. That would mean that no one would ever die young who is a godly person. 
And we know that's just not true. You know, I can't promise you that if you read God's Word and treasure it, everything is always going to go your way and you're going to live to be 105 years old. Uh, We can't say that. But we do know that if we live by God's Word and treasure the principles that we find in this book, uh, our years, whatever years that we do have, are going to be better. We're going to have greater peace, a better foundation in life, and a greater fruitfulness. And so that's why uh, scholars will tell you that the book of Proverbs consists of principles that are generally true to the overall tenor of life. But again, regardless of how long we live, it will add peace to our lives. How much do we listen to our Heavenly Father's instruction? How much do we read it? How much do we meditate on it? How much do we memorize it? Do we pay more attention to it than to our social media accounts? Diligent attention to the Word of God will bring blessing to your life. Even if you face trials, He'll give you His wisdom and peace. And so again, Solomon wants his son to to remember his teaching, to not forget it, keep his commands in his heart, uh, because what he's instructing him in here is God's Word. And he wants his son to hold tightly to God's Word. And then a second admonition that he gives him here is that he would love God. Beginning there in verse 3, he says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, look at verse 3 again. Uh, The New American Standard says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. The NIV says something very similar. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Now I want you to circle that, uh, that first word, uh, kindness, or as the NIV says, love. You know what that word is? It's a Hebrew word that can mean faithfulness or love or steadfastness. It, it's felt by some Old Testament scholars to maybe Uh, be the richest word in the Hebrew Old Testament. In fact, it's such a rich word that there's not a single English word that can fully capture it and translate it. Uh, It could be translated as covenant love or steadfast love or kindness or mercy. You say, well, Scott, which of those translations is it? It, It's all of them. All of those words try to capture this one Hebrew word, the Hebrew word hesed. And he says, let love or let hesed and faithfulness never leave you. Well, we're to love God by, by being consistently faithful to him. Faithfulness is staying true to God day by day. Some of you need to say, God help me to be more consistent 
in my love and faithfulness to you. You know, there's a lot of what I call sometimes firework Christians. They sort of explode for a while. They pop off and there's this beautiful excitement and bright lights and smoke for, for a while. But, but then it just sort of goes away. Folks, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not some emotional spasm. We're not to go up like a Roman candle and then fizzle out. The Christian life grows and matures by walking in the Spirit day by day. As someone once wisely said, it's not how high you jumped when you got saved, but how straight you walked when you landed. I like that. Be consistently faithful to the basic things in the Christian life. Reading your Bible, praying, uh, encouraging your fellow believers, worshiping God, telling other people about Jesus. All of those things are just so basic to the Christian life. And, And he's saying here, let things like that, let love and faithfulness never leave you. In fact, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Folks, writing back back then in ancient times was a luxury. People didn't have paper and pens like we have today. And so writing was viewed as as being such a permanent thing. And And what he's saying here is, Love and faithfulness is to be a permanent thing. It, it's, it's like to something that's written on the tablet of our heart. It's not to quickly pass away. Steadfast love and faithfulness is to be permanent. This could include love of God and love of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember that occasion Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and soul and strength. And the second commandment's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, So what Jesus talk about there, love and faithfulness to God, God first, and then to our, our neighbor, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us perhaps need to be more consistent with that. We need to be more consistent in our steadfast love of God. Um, We might be on again, off again. Some of us need to be more consistent in our love of others. We're not to be like the Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said of the Pharisees? That they would love those who loved them back or speak kindly of those who would speak kindly of them in return. And Jesus said, our righteousness has to go deeper than that. And so we're to let love and faithfulness never leave us. Again, whether we're talking about love and faithfulness towards God or towards others, this is to be something that's a permanent quality in our lives. And and notice what the promise is to this in this couplet. He says, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. You'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man.
That's the promise. Well, a third admonition that he gives here, we are to trust God. Verses 5 and 6, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trust is something you and I, believe it or not, are already very good at. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Every day when you roll out of bed, you get dressed, you leave your house, you step into your automobile, you turn the key in the ignition over, what are you doing? You're trusting, you're believing that engine's going to crank, and hopefully most of the time it does. Some of you probably related to your job, drive down to the airport. Uh, you've, you've bought a ticket to go somewhere, maybe on a business trip. You get on an airplane. What are you doing? You're trusting that you're going to make it to your destination and back. Nobody would get on a plane if, if they knew that that plane was going to crash. By getting on that plane, we're exercising a certain level of trust. Folks, you and I, if you'll think about all the ways that we exercise trust, we do it every day. Well, God wants us trusting Him. God wants us trusting Him so that we will live wisely. He says here that we are to trust in the Lord. You see, it's not simply a choice of trusting because, as I've just pointed out, we all do that every day. It is a matter of where we put our trust. Some people might place their trust in their abilities, in their education, some people in their looks, some people in their position in life, their bank account even. God wants us trusting Him. So you see, it's a choice. God says, you want to live wisely, then trust me. Decide up front that you're going to trust God. How do we do that? By obeying His Word and letting His Word shape our lives. He says, talking about how we trust Him, He says, do so with all of your heart. In other words, don't live a double life. Don't say at church, I will try to trust him, but with my job, I can't trust him. I've got to do that on my own or my own way. Or I'll trust God to help me prepare my Sunday school lesson, but I can't trust him with my budget. You know, it's funny how people divide their lives up in categories between the sacred and the secular. And they might say, I'll trust him with the sacred things, and I'll trust him with, you know, church stuff. But with my everyday life stuff, I can't turn those matters over to him. Some people seem to live with categories like that in their life, between the secular and the sacred. But notice what he says here. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
I mentioned Paul and Timothy a moment ago. I think that's one thing that impressed Paul so much about Timothy. When he looked at Timothy, as he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he noticed that Timothy had a sincere faith. A sincere faith that Paul had seen, first of all, in Timothy's grandmother and then in Timothy's mother. And then Paul said, I'm confident this sincere faith is in you also. Uh, It was a faith without any kind of hypocrisy or double standards. That's how we're to trust God. Without double standards, without hypocrisy, without categories, we're to trust Him with all of our heart. So how else do we do this? What else is involved in trusting this way? Well, he goes on in verse 5 to say, Do not lean on your own understanding. I want you to think with me a moment about a, a Bible character near the beginning of our Bibles. Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. You may remember Genesis 22 is Abraham being tested uh, to sacrifice Isaac. I want you to think about that scenario a minute. Abraham might have thought in his, in his own understanding, he might have thought, wait a minute, Isaac is the son of promise. How can I put the son of promise to death if all of God's promises to me and my descendants are wrapped up in Isaac? That would have been a very natural way of thinking if Abraham was leaning on his own understanding. Folks, think of the blessing that he would have missed had he leaned upon his own understanding. Folks, don't get me wrong. God gives us our reasoning abilities. Nowhere does God tell us to check our minds at the door. Christian faith is a reasonable faith. There's evidence to back it up. And the Bible says we're to love God with our minds. But when we know that God is telling us to do something that doesn't line up with our normal and natural reasoning, we need to refuse to lean on our own understanding. In Isaiah 55, God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. God's thoughts and ways are higher than our ways. And so when there seems to be a conflict between our own understanding and what God's told us to do, we need to go with God's understanding. And if we do so... It'll make sense in the long run. Just like finally Abraham, he trusted what God had told him. He was ready to sacrifice Isaac and God stopped him. And he said, Abraham, now I know that you love me more than Isaac. And and God went on to renew the covenant again with, with Abraham and his promises to Abraham. And so we don't need to lean on our own un our own understanding. We need to trust God. We we need to trust Him with all of our heart. 
and not lean on our own understanding. He goes on in verse 6 to say that we need to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. All of our ways are to be subject to the Lord's approval. All of your ways, all of my ways need to pass before the Lord's scrutiny. Are there bad habits to confess and repent of? Are there bad thoughts to confess and repent of? Are there hard feelings or bitterness? Things like that that we need to deal with. Are we acknowledging God in our work, in our marriage, in our social life? Well, look at verse 6 at the promise. Look at what it says. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Folks, that's a promise from God. God will guide me and God will show me the way to go in life. But it's contingent upon my trusting Him and leaning upon Him. Perhaps that's why so many don't know the will of God in their life. They're not committed to trusting God with what He's already made clear to them that they're supposed to do. But if we follow Him, He will lead. You remember what David said in the 23rd Psalm? Thou leadest me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's like God is saying... I'll lead you, and I'm putting my own reputation at stake. We can trust God because of who He is. He's shown Himself to be trustworthy. You see, if a stranger were to come up to me and say, Scott, will you do me a favor? I'm not going to tell you what it is until you promise to do it. I would say, no. Because I don't know you. I don't know your ways. I don't know if you have my interest at heart. But if my wife came up to me and said, Scott, would you do me a favor? I'm not going to tell you what it is ahead of time, but just commit to me that you're going to do it. Now that'd be a different way. That'd be a different matter altogether because she loves me. And she has my best interest at heart. Even more so with the God who created us. The God who has made salvation possible through His Son, the Lord Jesus. When God comes to us and says, trust me, no matter what, it shouldn't be any problem. Because we know His character. And, and we know his heart toward us. In fact, the Bible says even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know God's heart towards us. We know God's character. He would never ask us to do anything wrong. Uh, he would never ask us to do anything that, that wouldn't help us in the long run. So we can trust him. Well... A fourth thing, fourth principle I want you to see here. He points out that we are to honor God. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a great, a great storyline in the movie, Chariots of Fire, that has to do with honoring God. Some of you remember that movie, Chariots of Fire. It's the story of uh, Eric uh, Lytle. He was a runner from Scotland. In the, in the 1924 Olympics, he was there to run in the 100-meter uh, dash for the gold medal. But because one of the preliminary heats was going to be run on Sunday, and he had personal religious convictions about not participating in sports on Sunday, he refused to run. People said, listen, Eric, you're giving up your chance to win the gold medal for your country. But still, he refused to compromise his convictions. Then it was learned that one of the other runners from Great Britain could not compete in the 400 meter, which was not Eric uh, Lytle's event, but they substituted Eric in anyway. Well, when the race was getting ready to, to start, an an American runner came up to Eric and handed him a small note and when Eric opened it up on that note was the verse 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 30 those who honor me I will honor even though the 400 meter race was not his event Eric Lytle won it anyway Folks, the Bible says we are to honor God in our lives. What if he wouldn't have won the race? Would honoring God still be the right thing to do? Yes, of course. Well, Proverbs 3.9 gives us a very visible, tangible test about honoring God. You know, it, it's one thing to talk about honoring God. But what about putting our obedience in this matter to the test with something that can be measured? And that's what uh, verse 9 here uh, talks about. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Honor the Lord from your wealth. He was talking about committing the first of your earnings to God. Now, folks, that gets about as practical and about as real as it can get, right? Because, again, he's not just talking uh, in grandiose terms about honoring God in ways that he could never measure. He gives a very practical way here that honoring God can be tested. And that, that's with our wealth. He was talking about committing the first of your earnings to God. And look at the promise in verse 10. He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You know what the problem is sometimes with the way that we give? We sit down, we write all of our bills... And then we take out money that can go towards entertainment. And then if there's anything left over, 
we'll give to God. Folks, that's not living wisely. In fact, for the Christian, that's backwards. This verse says that we are to give to God out of the first fruits. God is to be my number one priority. That means if there's not enough to go around, then I need to make some other adjustments. I need to cut back in some other areas. I don't need to just give God the leftovers. King David said, I will not give to God or I will not sacrifice to God that which cost me nothing. George W. Truett was a great preacher. He was pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for many, many years. One day he was out visiting a wealthy Texas oil man. And as they stood on the second story porch of the oil man's uh, mansion, this oil man said to Dr. Truett, as, as he pointed, he said, look in that direction. Everything you see in that direction, I own. Look in that direction. The same. Look in that direction. Everything you see in that direction, I own. Look in that direction. Everything you see, I own. You know what George W. Truett said? He looked at the man and then he pointed up. And he said, but how much... Do, do you own or invest in in that direction? Very convicting question. Honor God in your giving. And so look at these principles again. Obey God. Love God. Trust God. And honor God. Four principles that are involved in wise living. Obeying God, loving God, trusting God, and honoring God. Powerful verses here that we read about. Folks, God wants us to know Him. He wants us to live by His Word. He wants to make better out of our lives than you and I would in a fallen world. If we do things our way, we're going to make a mess out of things. But God is the all-wise God. Remember that. God is the all-wise God. Don't mess up with your life by refusing to obey God and trust Him and honor Him, and love Him. Don't blame God if you've chosen to go your own way in life and you've made a mess of things. Confess that. Repent of it. And you know what? God can help you get back on the right track. Make a decision tonight that you're going to delight yourself in the Lord. And you're going to commit all of your ways to Him. Live that way. Not just on Sundays, every day of your life. Live according to Proverbs chapter 3. 
I mentioned a moment ago it's a favorite of many. If you haven't committed verses 5 and 6 to memory, let's just take those two verses out of this chapter, the portion that we read, and I want to challenge you to commit those two verses to memory and say, God, help me to live those verses out in my life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is very practical. And your word comes from you. You are the all-wise God. And Lord, we are so privileged that in the Bible, you are willing to share your wisdom with us. Because you want to shepherd our lives. Father, I pray that every day, we would respond with willing surrender and obedience. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great evening. What's left of it and a great rest of the week. And don't forget the uh, Friday update. And then be praying about our Sunday services coming up. God bless you. Can't wait to see you again in person.